Welcome in everyone to the 64th episode of the Deep Dive Dynasty podcast. As always, we are your hosts, Toby and Colin. Toby, how have you been doing? I've been pretty excited about talking about the NFC, finally. Mm-hmm, yeah, we're finally halfway through this series and therefore starting to cover the NFC East, which is going to be the first of the four NFC divisions we'll be talking about. That, of course, means the Washington football team, the New York Giants, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, let's get into the team that was the top of the division last year. That is the Washington football team. As close as this division was, they were able to come out on top and even showed out a bit of an impressive performance against the eventual Super Bowl winning yeah. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. The head coach is the same as well as the OC in Ron Rivera and Scott Turner. So really, you can expect to see the exact same scheme we saw last year. They do have a lot of new personnel on the offensive side of the ball, though. At quarterback, the new addition, the big name, Ryan Fitzpatrick, fear the beard. Yeah, so Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to come to this offense. A big changeup from the combination of Kyle Allen, Dwayne Haskins they had last year. And this had people pretty excited for fantasy football purposes because Ryan Fitzpatrick definitely has a reputation to F it and chuck it, as they say. And even if he does not level up to be a very significantly impressive NFL quarterback. I do think he can be good not only for himself in fantasy, but also support a lot more fantasy weapons than we've seen in the past with Washington these last few years. So I guess the first question is like, Toby, how high are you on this player, Ryan Fitzpatrick, in 2021, like on his own regard? Would you be willing to have him as quarterback one, quarterback two? Where do you rank? I think he would be a fringe two. Mm -hmm. I think if he's... If you're in a single quarterback league, you're in a pinch, you're obviously not looking for longevity of the position, he'll be fine. Terry McLaurin is great. He has some other wide receiving options, but largely, like most of the teams that Ryan Fitzpatrick is playing for, he's playing for them because they're hoping he can bridge the gap into something greater. Mm -hmm. So right now, I would say the Washington football team is still a team in transition. Yes, I do believe they found, you know, their running back of the future, maybe one wide receiver of the future, He's not surrounded by enough weapons that makes me think, oh, yeah, yeah, he'll be, you know, fringe quarterback one. I think he'll finish right around 18, 19. Okay. So uh, just a random question to throw at you. Last week, we talked about the Raiders. Who's doing better, Derek Carr or Ryan Fitzpatrick this year? Derek Carr will do at least five spots better. Five spots? Okay. At least Fair four enough. spots, maybe. <laughs> no, Derek Carr will do five spots better. It will happen. Sure. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I kind of see it the same way that I'm happy for Fitzpatrick in terms of the weapons around him. I think it'll really help Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, even someone like Antonio Gibson or the tight ends. It's going to be a boom for everyone involved, but I would be okay if Fitzpatrick was my quarterback two right now, but ideally he's a quarterback three because I don't think you're going to want to start him that often. If you look back to, you know, the days where he was putting up crazy fantasy points on, say, the Bucks. Like, this defense alone is going to not allow for him yeah. to... He doesn't need to throw the ball like he had to in Tampa no. because this defense is pretty incredible, to be honest. Behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, you have Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen, a couple of the players we saw play a little bit last year. Heineke has gotten a little bit of hype out of camp, but obviously last year, Kyle Allen was the starter much before they turned to Heineke. So it's tough to know which of these two will be the clear backup come game day. I actually see Heineke in a little bit better. I think he's obviously more game proven, albeit an extremely small sample size. But I think they'll start Heineke before they start Allen. 
They just gave Allen so many opportunities last year that if, you know, Fitzpatrick goes down or they're losing a ton of games, I could see them saying just throwing in Heineke first. Allen was the starter until he got injured, though. So Very true. Yeah, I mean, he looked better than Haskins. Not that that's the highest bar to ever reach. But yeah, I, I would maybe tend to agree. In Dynasty, I would probably rather start Heineke just because Kyle Allen, I feel like we know at this point, is not going to be a player who's going to put up a lot of fantasy points for you, whereas Heineke could be. But again, these are pretty deep stashes for your deep benches these aren't players that even if they go in are you confident they're going to even be that useful for fantasy so they're not high on my priority list let's move into the wide receiver room and talk about the most obvious wide receiver one out of any team terry mclaurin i feel like you're uh, disparaging these other wide receivers i am i'm definitely feeling that we're disagreeing on this wide receiver too Yes, Terry McLaurin is a clear number one. Is he the most clear? No, not even close to me. Terry McLaurin is a very good player. He has never proven himself to this point as an alpha. He has never been a wide receiver one in fantasy, but he's 25 years old. He's got two very solid seasons, being the wide receiver 29 and the wide receiver 20 in his two seasons. And obviously, those are seasons with quarterbacks that you would think are not going to get him the ball as efficiently as Ryan Fitzpatrick will. So he is an ascending talent. I do think everyone should be aware of the fact that 25 is probably older than you think of him as being. For example, the wide receiver two on this team, Curtis Samuel, is younger than him. And it doesn't feel like that is the case, but Curtis Samuel's only 24. That's surprising. I would have thought he was the same age at least. Mm -hmm. So both are interesting assets to me, but I agree that Terry McLaurin is the one. He is a good enough route runner, a good enough separator, and a good enough athlete that I think he can command a high amount of targets and be a very productive player for you. In terms of roster construction, you're feeling pretty great if he's your second best wide receiver. I think you you really need to be projecting to see him as that clear wide receiver one. He's not one of those upper echelon guys to me, but he's kind of in that next tier because he can easily hit that new height this upcoming season. Next wide receiver name is Diami Brown. No chance. That's all we're talking about, Curtis Samuel. Okay. Why do you seem so low on Curtis Samuel? He is a clear number two now. He is in the best situation he's ever been in his life, and he has produced very significantly. In the second half of last year, he has produced better than McLaurin ever has. So I do not see how you can look at this roster and go, oh, Terry McLaurin is clearly the guy, because they wanted to go out and get this wide receiver that they reportedly tried to trade for in previous years in this regime. And I think Curtis Samuel is going to be a, a very usable, probably wide receiver three in this offense. So I don't see it as a massive, massive gap. I think he's one of the, you know, like at least an average number two for a team now. And I'm actually pretty excited about him. I'm surprised that uh, it seems like you are not viewing him in that same way. Yeah, it's not It's not that I'm disrespecting Curtis Samuel, but I think the route tree of Scary Terry is going to be used so much more by Fitzpatrick, especially at that start of the season, that I'm not fully confident that Riverboat Ron and the lads will get Curtis Samuel used the way that I think he was used, obviously, extremely effectively and productively in Carolina. If that translates and they figure out, oh, wait, this guy actually is a fantastic athlete, it's got the ball in his hands more, then yes, I, I do think he'll be good, and I still think he's an exciting asset. But I more so think that they're really locked into Terry. Well, I mean... This may just be an argument on its own. In the same amount of games last year, Terry McLaurin was the obvious number one with mediocre quarterback play last year, and he ended up as the PPR wide receiver 20. 
Curtis Samuel, also mediocre quarterback play he had. Teddy Bridgewater at the best of times, and a guy who just came over from the XFL in the worst of times. And he was the clear number three on his team, and he is the wide receiver 25 last year, so only five spots lower. I think they're a lot closer than you're giving them credit for. I'm excited, honestly, to watch this whole wide receiving room play out next year. Maybe Curtis will prove me wrong. Could be. Diami Brown is the next guy up. He was the third round pick for the Washington football team this year, and he, in college, as we've talked about in previous episodes leading up to the draft, didn't do a lot besides that almost DK Metcalf-esque in college run in a straight line, but he was very efficient at it. He was able to get separation just being faster than the DBs covering him, and he scored a lot of deep touchdowns. He definitely helped out future first-round quarterback in that offense, and Obviously, you also, that was the same offense, UNC, that had Javante Williams and Michael Carter. So this was a very prolific offense, and he took advantage of the single back coverage he was often getting, just burning players and being the clear number one on that team. So ideally, I think he'll be used in the same scenario, at least initially, is that you want to use him to stretch the field and... As a dynasty asset, what you're hoping is a little more down the line, he can develop that road tree further. I would say where he's been going in rookie drafts right now is a bit too rich for my blood. I've never been as high on him as others, but I think that upside exists because he's a good enough athlete and he has a solid amount of skills like his speed, like his ability to track the ball and all that, that assuming he can expand that route tree, become a little better of a route runner, he has a pretty high ceiling and you know, down the road he could command a lot more targets than I see just early on year one. The rest of this wide receiver room is a hodgepodge of guys and uh, I had to list them all because it's hard to know which of these guys are actually going to be on the field at all. Also, likely, most of these guys, or at least a few of them, won't even make the team. Mm -hmm. So you've got Cam Sims and Steven Sims, and both of these guys saw the field last year a little bit, so they're probably the odds-on favorite to at least see the field a little bit as the number four and number five. They also signed Adam Humphreys to a very small money deal just some wide receiver depth there some guy with experience who could maybe play in that slot role and then you've got Kelvin Harmon who at this point I don't have high hopes for at all and similarly after only one year the third round pick of Antonio Gandy Golden feels like he's already too buried in this depth chart there was only some negative reports out of the camp last year and he never really saw the field so I think it's hard to project that he's going to see it much more in year two. I honestly don't see anyone that we listed apart from the Sims brothers actually getting usable touches. I don't think there's going to be a ton of passing volume to go around, and Cam Sims is honestly pretty useful as an outside guy. Steven Sims has that speed and locked and loaded special teams value, so yeah, if you're Adam Humphreys, you're sweating. (laughs) Yeah, and in Dynasty, I pretty much only care about the top three. Yeah, I agree. The running back room, our favorite guy last year, Antonio Gibson, is the clear guy who will be out there for first and second down almost every single time. Behind him, you have J.D. McKissick, who had a shocking number of targets last year. Just an incredible amount. Was top two in the league with only him and Alvin Kamara at that level. And then Peyton Barber, who came in and spelled Antonio Gibson a little bit. But Antonio Gibson... I think will continue to develop and eat into both J.D. McKissick and yeah. Peyton Barber's touches they saw last year. Gibson's someone that I really like at his current value. He is definitely 
pretty expensive at this point. You're not going to almost ever see him fall out of like a third round. So you're investing high capital in him, but I believe that he's worth it because I think that not only will he get a high rushing share in what should be a much better offense than last year, but also he was a wide receiver in college and we know he has that skill set. So I do expect him to see much more of a significant receiving role than we saw last year. Couldn't agree more. For him to be a wide receiver and to be as underutilized as he was, it's just one of those coaching slash scheming things. You can blame it on what you want, but Gibson's talent will win out, especially over players such as McKissick and Barber. I would agree. Jarrett Patterson's also their undrafted free agent. Somebody that a lot of people really liked pre-draft, but... I liked him. Yeah, but just, you know, undrafted free agent, you've got a low chance at this point. Extremely low. At tight end, there's Logan Thomas, who came onto the scene last year, as I predicted in this episode one year ago. Behind him, you have John Bates, who was drafted in the fourth round. He is mostly a blocking tight end, but that is significant enough draft capital that you should be interested in. They also brought on Ricky Seals-Jones on a very cheap contract, and you never know he could be that type of backup tight end in terms of the move game. And then also someone I want to throw out is Sammy Reyes, because Sammy Reyes is the best athlete that has ever tested to be in the NFL. And he is undrafted. He is, I believe, out of Chile, is 6'5", 260 pounds, and he ran a 464 40-yard dash. What? Had 31 bench press reps and produced a 40-inch vertical and a 10-foot 5-inch leap in broad jump. Pretty much all of his metrics across the board are in the 99th or 100th percentile because he is a monster of a man. And uh, that type of athleticism is the type of player that I am looking for. If I'm in an incredibly deep league and you're looking at which of these undrafted guys has a chance. There's actually been a little bit of buzz that he's been impressive in camp, and he's also not a blocking type. He actually is more of a receiver. He's got some pretty good hands. So if you ever are looking for a really deep sleeper at tight end, I I would look up Sammy Reyes. It would be harder not to be impressive with his skill set and size. That's insane. He's just massive. I want to circle back, though, a little bit to Logan Thomas because he was the standout guy last year. and Which was... Quite an amazing call by you. Yeah, proud of that one for sure. The question really is, like, do you think he can be another tight end one this year? I do. I don't think he's going to be anywhere near top five, but I think there's a very possible chance that with the wide receiving carousel that they have, maybe it doesn't pan out the way we expect. And Logan Thomas is not usurped by Sammy Reyes at this point in time. (laughs) Yeah, of course. He proved himself extremely valuable and useful. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't see why Fitz wouldn't love that in a target. Yeah, I, I think he will still be a tight end one. And I think he's worth starting in someone's roster, but I just don't think he's that upper echelon guy. Here's a little quiz for you before we move on. What number tight end did he end up at last year? Six. In PPR? Three. Holy. It was Kelsey, Waller, a massive jump, and then Logan Thomas. Beat just Logan. crazy. That is incredibly surprising to me as well. But yeah, I don't think he'll be one of those top end guys, especially with so many other players playing all the games. But yes, he should be a usable tight end one, barely. The next team we've got coming up is the New York Giants with the same coaching staff as last year again of Joe Judge as head coach and Jason Garrett as the puppet. <laughs> Oh, poor Jason. (laughs) (laughs) That's his role. He knows it. Yeah. The quarterbacks, of course, you've got Daniel Jones, who is a very interesting player in his own right, and then Mike Glennon, the giraffe of a man, (laughs) in behind him. Toby, 
how do you value Daniel Jones? Like, what do you think in terms of how good he'll do this year and what his like risk is of being a starter long-term? Daniel Jones has huge risk because he's not proven himself to be anything more than volatile mm-hmm. as an asset. Having said that, I think he is a fantastic wide receiving core. I think if Saquon Barkley is at full health, which I do project, he's going to have a great enough season. There's been some reports that he might not be ready for the start of the season. And I have heard that. I think Danny Dimes finishes as QB 14 on the year. I think he surprises a ton of people. I could see that. And I do think he will hold down his job for at least another two to three years as quarterback of the Giants. Mm -hmm. I agree that he's risky, but he is a usable quarterback in fantasy. He actually puts up some decent numbers, and you can be okay starting him as your quarterback, too. This year, he should be able to put up higher-end quarterback, two numbers. But, yeah, there's the volatility involved with how long can he retain a starting role if he does not fix some of his issues, like being able to recognize pass rush and some fumbling issues he's had throughout his career so far. He needs to either develop on his own or perhaps this improvement in receiving game around him could potentially propel him to being more of that, you know, average NFL quarterback status. There's wide receivers. The big name off the board, the big name in free agency was Kenny Galladay. Why are you going to say John Ross? (laughs) No, sir. (laughs) Kenny Galladay is now a member of the New York Giants and... He has dealt with some injuries in the past, but we know what he can do. He can pretty much out-jump ball almost everyone in the league and be an incredibly reliable red zone target. I do think he's the type of wide receiver that Daniel Jones really needs. Yeah, I agree. Just throw a ball up, it's safe, and he can know that Kenny Galladay will go up and get it. Do you think this move from the Lions to the Giants was beneficial or harmful for Galladay's dynasty value? I actually think it is harmful because it was kind of just him with the Lions and he was getting a ton of volume anyways. Mm-hmm. Especially if he stayed and Marvin Jones left. Then. If he stayed, Marvin Jones left and also Stafford had stayed, but it's no longer the state of the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think Danny Dimes has enough in the tank to make sure Kenny G returns in value, but at where he's going right now, it's hard. It's hard for me to say that, yes, Kenny Galladay is going to be great. So I do think it's, it has harmed him. Mm-hmm. I would agree. We are only one year removed from him ending up as the wide receiver nine with 11 touchdowns on a season. And I think he can repeat that type of season. It yeah. is definitely possible. But there is more target competition now than I think he has seen on the Lions. And I definitely preferred Matt Stafford to Daniel Jones throwing him the ball. Yeah, I agree with that. Beyond him in that depth chart, we have Kadarius Tony, who Exciting. was the Giants first round pick. Kadarius Tony is electric with the ball in his hands, is definitely a weird little gadgety type player, might play out of the slot. Hard to really pin down exactly what role he will have. This is a player that, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about Urban Meyer and loving that little H-back weird slot role. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently when he picked ETN, he really wished he could have picked Kadarius Tony because he genuinely went out and said that, that Urban Meyer was really upset that Kadarius Tony went because that's the exact type of player he is. And Kadarius Tony has that type of upside. The question is, will this offense use him in that way? Or will he just be a slot receiver or a burner? What type of role are they going to use him in in this offense? I think Kadarius Tony is going to suffer some growing pains as a rookie. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to become very involved with the offense until at least six to seven weeks into the season. I could see that. But I do think he's going to be better than people expect 
will he return that first round draft pick value? No, but I do think the later we get in the year, the more we're going to see from him where we go, ah, that's why he was picked with that first. He's going to have some highlights, but I don't think it's going to happen right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think volume and, you know, that PPR value is something that you could be in question with Kadarius Tony. Next two that I think definitely round out their top four, you've got Sterling Shepard, who could be the slot guy there still, as long as Kadarius Tony doesn't take that role away. And then you've got Darius Slayton, who is much more the outside guy. And Kenny Galladay clearly has one of those two outside roles taken up. So again, is Kadarius Tony going to burn on the outside very often and take away from Slayton's reps? Or will it be Slayton's job to be that other wide receiver two on the opposite side of Kenny Galladay? That's what we kind of have to figure out because of Kadarius Tony's ambiguity. But I do expect these are the four guys that are going to be very relevant. I think the Giants have just such exciting weapons. Like, mm-hmm. I really enjoy looking at the outlook these four guys can provide. Oh. I think Slayton is so great. I was taking Slayton everywhere in redraft last year. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just don't know if he's better than being a team's number three or four, which is the role he's in right yeah. now. They also have Dante Pettis, who they brought over from the 49ers, and John Ross, who obviously came from Cincy. And these are just some depth guys. You might see yep. John Ross spread the offense every once in a while. That's about sure. all I see. Although, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> He'll come in a few times a game, probably, yeah. sprint in a straight line. At running back, obviously, you have Saquon Barkley. And Saquon Barkley is coming off of a very major injury. And the question is, is he healthy? Because if Saquon Barkley is back to 100%, he is the second or third best running back in the league. He is right up there in that upper echelon because he is an emergent talent of, you know, the new wave of running backs is, I feel like, led by Saquon Barkley. Amazing as a receiver, amazing as a runner. But yeah, he's coming off some serious lower body injury now. And there are reports, as I mentioned earlier, that he might not be ready for the early part of the season and, you know, he might get eased in. So definitely going to give owners worry, especially in something like redraft. I think in Dynasty, you just got to hold out and wait. But none of us really have more info than any of you would. We just hope that Saquon will be all good in terms of redraft or in terms of a team that is absolutely win now, I think you got to just take the risk, hold him in Dynasty, because assuming he does come back and he is back to full, he's Saquon Barkley, and I think he's going to put up very significant points for you. In terms of Saquon Barkley's backups, Devonta Booker is definitely, I would say, the backup that I project being looks, there. Looks like the clear backup to me, yeah. And as he showed us last year, the, he still has some spurts of great running in him. He can be fine. And I think he will be used to help ease Saquon in, even if it's just a couple of weeks. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess he's somewhat interesting as a... High-value handcuff, I guess. I suppose, if Barkley really is dealing with stuff. Then beyond him, you've got Gary Brightwell, who was their sixth-round pick this year. Not a player I loved, but again, just could be some depth or potentially have some handcuff value. And also, someone I was shocked to see on the depth chart, Reichwell Armstead, which uh, I'm happy to see you through your COVID troubles and uh, on an NFL roster. So good for you, Reichwell. Their tight end room, also... Somewhat interesting because uh, there's a new addition. You've got Evan Ingram, and you also have Kyle Rudolph coming over from the Vikings. So, Toby, Mr. Uh, Evan Ingram truther. No. (laughs) How are you feeling? Evan Ingram has let me down time and time and time again. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't know what else to do other than say you got to try and move on from this guy. I think even just back to last year when there's no Saquon who takes up a bunch of targets... 
Sterling Shepard was the wide receiver one at that point. Evan mm-hmm. Ingram was poised. He was given opportunity. He also led the team in targets last year. He led the team in targets last year. And he still wasn't returning the value of which I would like him to do. If you can reframe Evan Ingram as a decent tight end, or at least a tight end that's going to get a decent number of targets per game, mm-hmm. you can go for him. But I would sooner take Logan Thomas than I would Evan Ingram. I get that. And I think it's ridiculous to say, because I think Evan Ingram is five times the athlete that Logan Thomas is. Yeah. Evan Ingram can get up. He can burn people. But there's something about his actual gameplay, his game speed. If it's a mentality thing, if it's just sheer misfortune, Evan Ingram is not the player that I thought he would be. Them going out and signing Kyle Rudolph kind of proves that. Because if you just want tight end depth, just grab a guy in the seventh round. Pick up someone who's undrafted coming in. You don't go out and sign Kyle Rudolph if you fully trust in Evan Ingram. I understand that there might not be large amount of trust, both from the ownership of the New York Giants and also the ownership of your dynasty team that has Evan Ingram. But I feel like now is not the time to move on because I just think you're getting the worst value you could. And let's look at just a few metrics. You got 109 targets last year. It's a ton. That's right at the top of all tight ends. You've got one touchdown. You know that's got to go up. I want it to. And last year, he was the tight end 16. Is that That's good? so shocking. That's so shocking. that th- Those numbers should not match up. You do not take a tight end that gets triple-digit targets. Mm-hmm. He did and very find little with his targets. That's and, the yeah, problem. And then find them as tight end 16. It's insane. Yeah, he had some bad drop issues. He also did not produce a lot after the catch as you'd expect and of course the very low number of touchdowns even though you'd expect them to go back up if he's not that red zone weapon that's definitely a major problem on the tight end landscape then Kyle Rudolph is someone that you know they bring in I don't know exactly how excited I am for a 31 year old Kyle Rudolph who looked like he was losing his speed and ability a bit last year made some good catches Mm -hmm. he did get foot surgery but I assume he will be fine for week one I think he'll come out there, and I do think he is threatening to Evan Ingram's red zone opportunity, if yeah. nothing more. So I definitely do not like the fact that he's there for Evan Ingram's role, but I don't think he will be very usable for Dynasty. For both of these tight ends, the issue that is greater than any other to me is the fact that last year there wasn't that significant of target competition, whereas this year with Kenny Galladay, with a first round wide receiver coming into the mix and potentially with Saquon Barkley coming back into the fold, that just pushes you further and further down the target distribution. So yeah, that's what I worry about. mm -hmm. It's definitely scary for you. But yes, even though I am disparaging him, don't sell him right now. Selling him right now is, you're right, he's at his nadir, I would say. You've got to wait it out. Mm -hmm. I agree. The third team up is the Dallas Cowboys. How about damn Cowboys? How about damn Cowboys? You got Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore as the head coach and OC. And we know exactly what type of offense they're going to run in this. Yep. They are going to have three wide receivers out there at all times. They're going to run Zeke and potentially Pollard a little bit. And Dak Prescott is going to be throwing a lot. This defense is going to probably force them to throw a lot. I think there are a ton of fantasy points up for grabs on this team. I expect many significant fantasy assets to come from the Dallas Cowboys this year. So Dak Prescott is pretty much right up there for me and one of those elite quarterbacks that I really want. I know he was coming off of the gruesome injury, but he is back to 100% now. Not even for week one. He is all good right now. 
and he is already saying that he's passed it. It's not even in his mind. He's looking good out there. He's making all the throws, and I don't think it will even hamper his rushing ability. I expect this to be full-blown Dak, and what we saw out of full-blown Dak last year was a league-winning quarterback. That's phenomenal. And yeah, obviously, when you have things such as an ACL tear or Achilles stuff, it can really hamper you. Dak Prescott, well, his injury, truly gruesome. Definitely my least favorite part of the football season last year. (laughs) I saw it live. I wish I hadn't. I haven't gone back and watched it because I do not want to. But at the end of the day, it's just a bone break. Your bone heals. Your bone calcifies. Should be fine. And then you go on with life. Like mm-hmm. anyone who said broken bones, I've had broken bones. I'm not worried about re-breaking them. Yeah. That's that's not the issue that he's going to have. And I do agree. He's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think he's right up there in that top five quarterbacks for me. I want him in redraft. I want him in dynasty. If I could have bought the injury dip, I was, trust me, attempting to. And it just <laughs> never really happened because yeah. I think people are too smart for that. But if you look at the weapons around him, Combine that with his own rushing ability. Combine that with the defense that's going to make him throw and the scheme that's around him. Dak is going to be elite as a quarterback this season. Behind Dak, if he were to go down, there isn't no obvious Andy Dalton anymore. You've got Cooper Rush, Garrett Gilbert, and Ben DiNucci. Yeah, I don't know which one of these guys is going to start. I believe Garrett Gilbert will start. Sure. But (laughs) I know as much as the next guy. Yeah, you could take a shot on any of them, but it's definitely difficult to know if any of these guys will give you good enough fantasy points, even in the case that Dak Prescott would go down. So these aren't backups that I'm targeting in Dynasty. Let's move on to the wide receiver room with the Dallas Cowboys. Up first, I think he's still first, Amari Cooper. Yeah. Big money man, big play guy. Amari Cooper's fantastic. Whatever odd struggles of disappearing he had in Oakland, they have disappeared. Amari Cooper looks like a bonafide number one. Mm -hmm. And playing right behind him, CD Lamb. And what's crazy is I think genuinely both of these guys could be wide receiver ones in fantasy. I think it is possible. I do. I think that would be that would be an outlier. But yes, I agree. CD is good enough. He obviously is young enough, has the talent for it. Is probably the higher sought after dynasty. He is for asset me, for sure for me. And I just think both of these guys are poised to have a huge season. Mm-hmm. So CD Lamb only 22 years old, and last year finishing as the PPR. 22 wide receiver yeah definitely someone that i'm absolutely looking to grab if i can he i only think will emerge so this one two punch is as good as i would say any in the league maybe besides the new aj brown and julio stack they're probably number two so that's impressive in its own right both guys that i absolutely want to be starting every week and then on top of it someone that i think would be a very solid number two on almost any team in the league michael gallup is their number three Another player that just probably usable in spurts this year only because yeah. he's a pretty good player will step up in the case that either one of CD or Amari goes down and his contract is also done this year. So I think right now could be a good time to go get him because realistically, I think most lineups in the entire league, he would go in and step up and be a very solid usable guy. Behind that top three are three guys that I don't think we know enough to value right yet. Mm-hmm. There's Simi Fahoko, who was drafted. Yep. Um, we actually really liked his tape here at the Deep Dive Dynasty podcast. Simi Fahoko is 
kind of a more bigger bodied athlete, he could just go in and take Michael Gallup's role should he leave pretty quickly. There's my absolute dream sleeper, who I think went to the wrong location, Brandon Eagles. Love me some Brandon Eagles. I'm kind of sad he went to Dallas because I don't see how he's going to get on the field at all. And you also got TJ Basher. TJ Basher is a big guy. He doesn't do much else, but he is very, very big. And I would say it's pretty likely that Either he or Brennan Eagles will probably make this team. I agree with Toby. I preferred Brennan Eagles' take, but you never really know. Simi Fajoko, as Toby mentioned, I do think has a fifth-round pick, has some good upside in the future if Michael Gallup leaves at the end of this year. And also, there's possibility that Amari Cooper, you can get out of his contract in a year or two. There is possibility, if Fajoko does emerge, that he could rise up this depth chart and it's not like he is locked behind two or three guys that are there for a very long time. There's possibility if he really hits to see work in a year or two. The running back room is led obviously by Ezekiel Elliott. Mm -hmm. Zeke is continuing his downward trend in terms of ADP over the last four to five years. He's just quietly tumbling down as he gets older and older, but I like him. Yeah, I'm so convinced that this offense is amazing that I want Zeke pretty bad. And I think that even includes if Pollard eats into some of his touches, Zeke will get a ton of touchdowns this year and can easily return top five running back value to me. I agree. I was kind of surprised at the most recent mock I did, how low Zeke went, even though I think it was like 10th or something. It was Mm -hmm. was reasonable. He's the type of guy that could get you RB1. Totally. I think that there potentially could be no better offense in football. Like there's a couple, obviously Kansas City's a very good offense and there's some others, but this is one of the offenses that has a chance to be that best in the league type offense. And Zeke also has the chance to be a pure bell cow. Sure, last year he faltered a bit and Pollard actually looked better than him to me at times, but Ezekiel has showed, especially when Dak is at quarterback, that he can be used significantly in the receiving game. And of course, we know what he can do in the rushing game, especially in terms of getting touchdowns. He's done it year in and year out. So I would like to look at the 2020 season as a blip on the radar, kind of move past it. If Dak is back and this offense is rolling again, Zeke should get back to even just the pace he was on last year because before Dak Prescott went down last year, he was a bona fide top end RB1. And that's where I think he can get to again. Tony Pollard, I think, is a good shot to take because he's got as good of handcuff upside as anybody. I would love to have any running back that steps into this offense, and he is not only good in the rushing game, but also the passing game, so he has a very high ceiling if Zeke were ever to go down. Then there's also Rico Doddle, who I think is only a placeholder there to show you that there isn't a lot behind (laughs) Zeke and Pollard. At tight end, you have Blake Jarwin and Dalton Schultz. And I think it's an interesting conversation to have here because Jarwin was clearly the tight end to own going into last season, and then he had a pretty bad injury early on, even before Dak did, and Dalton Schultz seemingly took over the role just fine, and there wasn't a huge difference. So it's hard to know, in my opinion, which of these two is going to be the clear tight end one. I still think Jarwin is going to be more relevant than Schultz. Jarwin has, I believe, his coaches all being like, yep, we're gone because of injury. Mm -hmm. still going to happen. There was a lot of high hopes for Jarman, honestly, last season before the injury. 
And I think they're going to let that play out in full. I would sooner have Jarwin than Schultz. I would lean that way too. I was never that hot on him last year either though, just because sure, I think Dak is going to pass for a ton of yards, but even so, the fact that you're competing with Amari and CeeDee and Zeke and Pollard and so many players, the tight end I think could be a little bit forgotten. You can't have that 109 elite Evan Ingram type season. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Evan Ingram, why? The fourth team we're going to be talking about today, the final team, is the Philadelphia Eagles, which shockingly ended up fourth in division last year. They have a new head coach and new offensive coordinator. Very needed. Fair. Nick Serrani and Shane Streichen. Streichen? I don't know. And this will be an interesting new combo. Nick Serrani was previously the offensive coordinator under Frank Reich on the Indianapolis Colts. So I think that is an interesting offense to look at in terms of how they might run this offense. I was thinking about it. I also think maybe even more specifically, when you have Jalen Hurts as your quarterback, I don't think you're going to run this offense in the way they have with Phillip Rivers. I think you're going to run it much more how you saw with Jacoby Brissett. So I think that is the offense you're mostly looking at. Yeah, I agree. The things specifically that Serrani has talked about in interviews in terms of what he wants to incorporate in this offense is 12 personnel, which if they keep both of their two tight ends being both (laughs) Goddard. that would work. Yeah, definitely can work. But if that Zach Ertz relationship is gone at any time, it would not surprise me. But 12 personnel, two tight end sets. And even if Zach Ertz is gone, I think you've got Richard Rodgers there, who's a very solid tight end three, could be number two there. Beyond that, he also said that they really want to put guys in position to get a lot of yak. So that reminds me a lot of what San Francisco does, something like, you know, what you could see Debo do. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can extrapolate that to some other reports we've heard, like Jalen Rager maybe playing out of the slot this year, which is another change. And then the other thing he wanted to say, and he reiterated, is the use of running backs in the passing game. And that is interesting for many of their players because, you know, you got Sanders who can catch some balls. You also have Kenny Gainwell, he drafted in the fifth round, and Boston Scott has showed his prowess in that department as well. At quarterback, you got Jalen Hurts. And beneath him, you honestly have two pretty solid backups. You've got Nick Mullins and Joe Flacco. And uh, according to this coaching staff, I don't know who the quarterback uh, to start is. Uh, Sure, Serrani. So Jalen Hurts, how do you view him both in 2021 and going forward? I think he's great. I've been a believer in him since he was drafted. Much more than I. I really, really thought that he would find his way onto the pitch. I really, really thought as soon as Carson Wentz was struggling that he would come in and take the job. I think he's going to have a good year. I do not think he's going to be amazing. He's not going to have a Lamar Jackson type of huge rise to stardom. But I think he's going to take this team at the very least into wild card or in the hunt type of position. I, I would hope so. I think and that's possible. Because of that, I think you should go get him right now. If they're actually saying, oh, wait, we might go with Joe Flacco. <laughs> no, they won't. <laughs> and if someone on your team is like, yeah, I don't know if he's got the starting job locked down, go try and get Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is going to use his legs. I think Jalen Hurts is a smart quarterback. Even when he was losing games last year, he was putting up a ton of fantasy points and mm-hmm. was putting up big numbers just as an offense. I'm a believer in Jalen Hurts. I really believe in him going into the season. I would not be surprised if I end up with him in almost every redraft league. Okay. I'm curious. I have a particular approach when it comes to owning Jalen Hurts this year in Dynasty, and I'm curious to see if you agree. So 100%, I agree that Jalen Hurts, when he's on the field, is going to be a very good fantasy producer. So you know, in my opinion, you've got a locked-in quarterback one type of player. Even if he's on the low end, he's going to rush enough that he'll produce those type of numbers for you. My 
hesitation with him as a dynasty asset is I think he could lose the job in one year. I think that is in the range of outcomes. It's the same fear I had about Josh Allen, and I'm not going to take one crazy outlier scenario where he turned into an amazing passer. So beyond that, how I want to treat Jalen Hurts on my dynasty rosters, and I have him in one that we co-own together, and all I want to do is monitor throughout the year. Not just how good is he for fantasy, because I expect quite good. If they're losing games and it's on him that he's not developing as a passer and he's fumbling or throwing picks or whatever, if I have fear that he is going to lose his job in the same way that Carson Wentz did last year, although I don't expect Hurts will midseason, I think he'll at least get the year. I want to trade him before the trade deadline this season because I think there will be owners in your league that will just look at oh my god, he's the quarterback four right now. Why is he trying to trade me him? And then a year later, you can have a player that's turned into a backup because honestly these NFL teams aren't looking at him as a fantasy asset and if he's not winning games then I am concerned about his longevity as a quarterback in the league. That's totally fair. I think I project him to take this team to a wild card. I would, and I think I'd be happy if that happened. If sure. he takes his team to the playoffs then I'm I'm all up for saying he's got this job for 3 to 4 years. Mm-hmm. But I do think that's an interesting take. Even if he's putting up huge fantasy points, if you can off him for the deadline, sure. I just think he's too good. I think he has too many in-game qualities that I liked to see. Like there's the whole leadership stuff. I mm-hmm. don't really put too much stock he's into. Honestly, he's also been reasonably accurate. I will definitely give him. He has some issues in terms of getting the ball out of his hand fast enough, yeah. et cetera. But he actually is pretty accurate. The place where my worry grew exponentially is the fact that by all reports, the Eagles were looking at, okay, if we could take Zach Wilson, if we could trade up to that two or three spot before the 49ers went up there, the Philadelphia Eagles were looking at trying to get to that three spot. And then they found out that Zach Wilson wasn't going to be there, who was apparently the guy they wanted. And then they backed off and traded backwards. And so if they're already not super committed to him as their future guy, that that's part of what makes me worry. Yeah, it makes me worried too. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, it was one of those things. They tried to trade for it, didn't work out. Jalen Hurts knows that this is his year. And I think he's going to... I, I hope he takes advantage. Good. They've got Nick Mullins behind him, who I would guess would be the starter over Flacco. He sure looks better than Flacco to me. But uh, he did sign quite cheap. And he wasn't there originally. They went out and got Flacco before they got Mullins. So that is an absolute question mark. But if I'm going to roster one in Dynasty... I'm looking to roster Mullins because if Jalen Hurts goes down, then I think Mullins will provide you a bit better fantasy points than Joe Flacco would. If the chance they're both starting is equal, give me the guy who would give better fantasy points. Let's move to their wide receiver room where we've got quite a number of guys to talk about, but the first and potentially their number one wide receiver, Devonta Smith. Mm-hmm. I think he's pretty likely to lead their team in targets. I really like Devonta Smith as being that number one. We know he's a good route runner. We know he knows how to get open. I do not fear to a huge extent the BMI issues that everyone's talking about. You can go back to our episodes talking about him. He is a very good wide receiver. He is going to get open. He is going to catch the ball. And I expect that he can outperform these other pass catching yeah. options on this team. Coming in right behind me, you got Jalen Rager coming off of... Not the most promising rookie year. Yeah, a little disappointing. A little disappointing, but he's still got a lot to prove. And in terms of being a wide receiver too, so exciting. Mm -hmm. This guy can go deep. And as I said, they've been talking about moving him to the slot. So it'd be that little slot. Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. He might be able to get a little more targets. I actually, for a fantasy perspective, I way prefer him out of the slot than outside where I'm concerned they're just using him to stretch out the field. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely intriguing to me. 
They also have Travis Fulgham, who was the most random emergent wide receiver ever last year. I watched him put up what I felt was 400 yards receiving against the Steelers. Uh-huh. And he did fall off last year, so it's yeah. hard to know where he slots in in this offense, but he's definitely someone to keep your eye on. If I could move on from him, I think I would, because they're just so uncommitted to him in terms of the fact that they just, you know, sign him as a free agent type guy, he's making league minimum. If he starts to put up points again, I think I'd be looking to trade him, but he definitely has that in his range of outcomes that he starts to produce. Yeah. Then you've got Greg Ward, who has been their slot guy the last few years and has been a decent slot guy. Like, he Mm -hmm. reminds me of, like, that Willie Sneed, just like, oh, yeah, he's a solid slot guy. You know, we were talking Hunter Renfro last year. They're all the same type of mix of, like, yeah, Yeah. he's going to catch the ball and run some routes, and he's, he's definitely fine for your offense. A couple of sophomore speedsters in John Hightower and Quez Watkins also joined the team last year, and both of them never saw the field too much, but made some plays, ran some deep routes, and... They bring that level of speed that uh, I think can help the offense. Sure. But they're not guys that I'm really looking at in Dynasty. And then I, you know, particularly put this guy last. He's still got J.J. Arthur Whiteside, who is a large bust and is not good at football. Bust, bust, bust. Moving on. (laughs) At running back, the number one on this team, Miles Sanders. How do you value Miles Sanders at this point? I think if you're Miles Sanders, you look at the depth chart beneath you and you see Kenny Gainwell, Boston Scott, Carrion Johnson, and Jordan Howard, and you Mm go... Ooh, <laughs> like even all the way down to Jordan Howard, these guys are actually pretty good. Like I need to perform. Miles Sanders is not going to be a bell cow back in the way that I don't think anyone is particularly expecting. But I find him to be more reliable than people suggest he isn't. I do feel that he's going to be an RB one to end the year. Okay, and I th- I think so largely because I believe in Jalen Hurts and I believe in the offense. Having said that, if Miles Sanders starts to play poorly, there's a chance that you're absolutely burning away an asset because if he starts to play poorly, there's a bunch of other guys just ready to come into this RB cycle and get going. We know this as we know for all our RB assets in Dynasty, they do not last long. They do not have the long shelf life that a wide receiver tight end does. Miles Sanders needs to perform now. And I think that him having chemistry with Hertz and starting to catch balls from Hertz will be fantastic. And I love the reports from Sarani where they're saying, yep, yeah, we're going to get our ball to the running back. We're going to get some yak. Because I think Miles Sanders excels with yak more than he excels at running through the tackles. Mm-hmm. So if all that coach speak turns out to be true, which is <laughs> a kind of naive sentence, if this plan that Sarani has gets the ball in Miles Sanders' hands with more of HB slipscreen action, if you will, I think he's going to be fantastic. And I do think he'll be fringe RB1. Okay. I struggle to put him in RB1, but I'm comfortable putting him as a solid running back too that I'm still happy to own. But yes, there are some incoming guys who could encroach on some of his touches, I think steal away a little bit of his third down work, even though he was already losing a bit of that to Boston Scott last year. So I don't see him as one of those upper echelon guys anymore. A lot of the rookies last year have definitely vaulted him for me. That's true. So he's just kind of in that, you know, second round in single quarterback league type guys where I'm not super comfortable drafting him, but I do think he'll be pretty good. I see him a little bit similar as I see the other two running backs that were atop his class, Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery. They're still a very difficult trio to separate for me. But I do think there is upside with Jalen Hurts if this offense improves. He has enough skill on his own right to uh, produce quite a bit for fantasy. The players behind him, as we mentioned, for that scat back type role, you've got Kenny Gainwell or Boston Scott. Kenny Gainwell as a fifth round pick. 
I still like to beat out Boston Scott for that role just because I loved what I saw in talent. I think he is possibly the best receiving back in this entire class, and that's over players that are very good at that, like Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. I like Ken Gainwell but it's pretty much just as that receiving role. I don't think he's going to steal a lot of rushing downs, so your ceiling is definitely capped, but who knows in the case where Miles Sanders were to get hurt, it's possible he could gain himself a larger role. And then a couple of other backups, and you got to think, not all five of these guys are going to be on an active roster. And I've really liked Boston Scott over the years. Boston Scott's he's replaced by Kenny Gainwell. He feels like the one who's going to go He's replaced by sure. Kenny Gainwell. I've really liked him, but he's really truly an older and slightly smaller version of Kenny Gainwell. Yeah. The other two guys they have, though, they've got Carrion Johnson, who obviously came up from the Lions, and to me feels like maybe the next to go. Then you still got Jordan Howard, who's on this team, too, and the last time he was an Eagle, he was actually reasonably he, good. So. He was a touchdown machine for some reason. I remember one game he had, like, five. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was probably three or something, but yes, I do remember playing against Jordan Howard while he uh, rinsed me by getting touchdown after touchdown. Yeah, Jordan Howard feels like the type of player who's seemingly buried down a depth chart but could become that type of handcuff upside so really a lot of the players down this depth chart are worth stashing because there's a little bit ambiguity at the top and you're not sure which of these guys is going to step up if an injury were to happen yeah that tight end though they've got one obvious guy that is dallas goddard very good player someone that we i feel like i at least am growing to like more and more as i watch him he's just an emergent talent i think regardless of if zacherts is there or I think not he's great. and i think it's most likely he will not be dallas goddard is going to be this clear tight end one and you know i said devonta smith was going to lead the wide receivers but it is possible to me that dallas goddard leads the team in targets he's that type of player he gets good separation he's such a mismatch against the linebacker that are covering him. Yeah. I just really like Dallas Goddard's upside because as Zacherts kind of steps away from that role where we saw him as one of those perennial top three, four guys for so many years, I think Dallas Goddard can just take over that role completely and get a ton of targets. Totally. Their offense is built for having an upper echelon tight end. Mm-hmm. He can just slot himself in there. I think so. Especially considering the two other tight ends. You got Richard Rogers, who's just reaching the end of his tight end career. I yep. actually think he is a pretty great tight end, and he actually had splashes last year, if you remember, confusingly. Mm-hmm. And Hakeem Butler. Neither of these guys is going to impede the progression of Dallas Goddard. Yeah. Richard Rodgers, 29. He might be around for a few more years, but he's mostly a blocking type of guy, but you know, he yeah. can do that Darren Fells type thing where he surprised you with a few touchdowns yeah, every once in a while. But yeah, as you said, Hakeem Butler, just a wide receiver turning into tight end, so he has that receiving upside if you ever to happen, but it's unlikely that he will ever have a significant NFL impact at this point. So that's it. That is our AFC East review. But before we close with the episode, of course, we are going to do our Dynasty Buy of the Week. And it is Toby's turn. He has made the hints for me. If you want to read all the rules of this game, just look in the description below. But Toby, why don't you hit me with hint number one? Hint number one. I'm 23 years old and the 50th best wide receiver last year. Okay, I definitely want to pick someone that I know is 23. We were already talking about Curtis Samuel. I know he's 24, not even 23 anymore. I'm going to go with a Toby Classic Darnell Mooney. Yep. It's <laughs> <is> it. <laughs> well, Aha. unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it's Darnell Mooney. <laughs> An absolute classic from Toby. Listen. I'm playing the man, baby. Listen, listen. Darnell Mooney's amazing, okay? <laughs> I've been saying this for a long time. The deeper into the season you get, the more statistics you have where you go, oh, Darnell Mooney's actually really sneaky good. 
Last game, for example, 13 targets, 11 catches. He's not just blazing speed. Last year, he did all this with Mitchell Trubisky. Mm-hmm. Yikes. <laughs> this year, Andy Dalton, ugh, okay, still going to be better than Mitchell Trubisky. Justin Fields, everyone's seen the quote. As soon as he threw me the ball, I had this great big smile. Great, Darnell. Hilarious quote. But really, truly, if he can do what he did in his rookie season in a tumultuous Bears offense, he's going to be better next year. Mm-hmm. In fact, you need to get him before he is better. Right now, he's still just Darnell Mooney. He had an exciting-ish rookie season, but he's just a fifth-round guy. You don't expect too much from him. If he's going to break out, the breakout's going to happen this season, and you always want to get the guy before the breakout. Right now, he's an exciting guy who might be catching passes from Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. I don't think Allen Robinson will leave. There is a crazy world in which Justin Fields is throwing to his number one target, Darnell Mooney. I am not suggesting that you you aim for that. But I I am suggesting that once he has his breakout season and he has rapport with Justin Fields, this is the guy you want. Not to mention, genuinely, the game I am most excited for in the whole NFL next year is going to be the LA Rams versus the Chicago Bears. If you remember correctly, Darnell Mooney absolutely scorched Jalen Ramsey. A little, uh, a little uh, stutter move sent him along and he was gone. Uh No one was catching this guy. Um, I think Trubisky was hit while he threw it or something, or it was just a terrible ball. It didn't end up happening. It wasn't even a catch, yeah. But Ramsey goes to Instagram and says, oh, I'll show you but your sorry-ass wide receiver, too. <laughs> That'll be a funny game It's one. the meme of Michael Jordan saying, I took that personally. Darnell Mooney's about to take this whole season personally. <laughs> Darnell Mooney's a buy now for me. So there's definitely good process around why he could be a good buy right now. Mostly, I think, the number one thing, and I'm sure this episode will come up soon because, you know, we only have three more NFC divisions to go, and he's going to be in one of them. The wide receiver room around him is just not that good. No. You've got Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, who I do think is the number two at this point. Then number three, you've got Anthony Miller, who hasn't impressed anyone yet to this point. I don't think it's going to happen. You've got Damier Bird, who, if you remember, was on the Patriots last year. He came in. Also, Marquise Goodwin has never been able to secure many targets. And then Javon Wims, uh, the only thing I remember about him is punching someone in the face. So <laughs> He actually dropped a ball in a playoff game, too. Oh, yeah. I remember that, too, actually. It was, yep, the game-losing drop and punching someone in the face. A couple of highlights for the guy. <laughs> yeah, Darnell Mooney is you know, we've talked a lot this episode about target competition, and he has about as low of target competition as anyone. Also, go buy Allen Robinson if you can. He's going to yep. be an absolute wide receiver one. But yes, if the quarterback situation is improved, and I think even if Andy Dalton plays 17 games next season, it will be improved. Obviously, I'd prefer Justin Fields, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I expect maybe a few games from Dalton and then make that transition. Something like that's going to happen. But... Yes, that team should have the best quarterback play they've had in a while. Darnell Mooney absolutely impressed me last year with a lot of his separation and route running statistics and just how he was able to get open despite balls sailing over his head. The fact that I think there is such an opening with a higher passing volume this season, it's absolutely worth it to check in with the Darnell Mooney owner to see how they value him because there's a good chance he's just one of those depth guys they don't really care about and uh, you could slip him into some other trade to you know to even sides out and definitely a good target for me very impressed that you got that first go it's just the odds of it man it all clicked okay yeah he's 23 oh 50 that makes sense and uh it's coming from toby so that absolutely makes sense so yeah I, i was able to piece it together 
That's it, everyone, though. That is our 64th episode of the Deep Dive Dynasty podcast. Toby, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And have a good one, everyone. Peace.